Esther. And uh, <clears throat> we're in Esther chapter 4, but I just want to do a little quick review. But where we ended, <clears throat> last time I spoke, Haman, who was, the, his name is the enemy of the Jews. Uh, basically, he pictures the flesh and Satan. And he got the king to uh, give him the signet ring. So the king left his signet ring into the hands of Haman and decided to let Haman rule his kingdom. And he decided to reach, uh, put forth an edict that would destroy all the Jews on a specific day coming up. And, uh, you know, and, and it's an amazing thing, you know, what we do. We don't realize it. But the very last verse of chapter 3 says that the king and Haman sat down to drink the city of Susa was very confused. And so when you look at that, when we are living in their flesh and we're yielding ourselves to our own self-centeredness, there's confusion begins to reign in the city of Susa. And there's a reason for it. I don't think the king ever asked Haman the nationality of the people he wanted to destroy. Because the king was very well aware of the fact that the Jews were a blessing to the city of Susa. In fact, they were quite profitable in the city. Daniel was one of its major, uh, you know, leaders. And it even talks about the fact that Daniel was in the city of Susa at one time. And uh, so the Jews were participating within it. And Mordecai was also, uh, obviously, where he was positioned within the gates of the kingdom that he himself was a, a ruler and a good person. But so now we're going to pick up in Esther chapter 4, um, verse 1. So when Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out to the city wailing loudly and bitterly. So Mordecai all of a sudden, and you have to understand the history of the Jews, they have just been destroyed by. Babylon, their whole city had been left in ruins. The, the other half of their nation was destroyed by Assyria and went off into captivity, never to return. Now, the Jews had just returned to Jerusalem, so we're at the point in time in their history where they're back in the land. Uh, but there are many Jews who had not left the, the rule of Media Persia. Media Persia had taken over Babylon, and so there were still many, many Jews that were in that city. So, when he goes out to weep bitterly, I think it's a lot of history. I mean, they know their history, how recent it was. And, all, you know, they, things had just settled out where they were, they were, people stopped persecuting them. And now, all of a sudden, the persecution begins to come up again. So, he goes up and begins to wait out bitterly. Right? But he went only as far as the king's gate because no one clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. It's interesting. But now, the rest of the picture is, Haman is a picture of evil, you know, and the flesh and the patterns of the flesh. Mordecai is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And Esther, his cousin, is a picture of a believer. And very clear through the first few chapters that Esther always obeyed Mordecai. She was a person who listened to the voice of the Spirit of God. So, uh, so but no one in sackcloth was allowed to enter. Go ahead. In every province to which 
every part of the kingdom. There was 120 provinces to the kingdoms of Media Persia. And the Jews in every one of those provinces were under the edict of being destroyed, including Jerusalem. Even though the Jews were back in the land, they had rebuilt their city, they were rebuilding the temple, um, but they were still under the rule of the Medes and the Persians. They, they did not run their own kingdom. In fact, ever since the fall of Babylon, the Jews had never become their own kingdom again. They were one of the wealthiest. In fact, the, the scripture says that Solomon was the wealthiest ruler in the history of the world. When he was king, he was the third king in the history of Israel. And they, I mean, they were a powerful, powerful nation at one point in time. But they were never to rise back again after the fall of Babylon, even though they were back in their land. They were still being dominated, uh, first by Babylon, by Media Persia. Then the Greeks come in, and they're the rulers of the world at that point in time, and after the Greeks, the Romans. So the Jews never recover their power or their kingship. Uh, so all the way through every province, the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She, uh, she sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth. Isn't that interesting? What's the first response that we try to do with people when we see they're struggling? We try to outwardly clean them up. They don't want to know what's going on on the inside. She sends clothes to them. Uh, it, it, it is just an amazing response. It's also amazing that, you know, uh, because he's in sackcloth, he's not even allowed inside the gates. When we we do not realize what it, we do, we don't have an inkling. The Lord just keeps showing me just little bits and pieces the fact that we do not know what a class society we live in today. We are still in a, in a class society. Do you know in the city of Easton and the city of Bethlehem, it's against the law to be homeless? It's against the law to be homeless in the city. How can you make a law that stops people from being homeless? And what do the police do to enforce that? The homeless live up in the woods up on the top, and every so often, the police come along, pick up all the tents and the things, the people, the shelters that the homeless live in, they throw them in a truck and they take them to the dump and throw them away during the daytime when the homeless aren't there. And if they find a person that's homeless in the city, they pick them up, put them in a police car, and drive them outside the limits of the city and leave them there. Why? What does that accomplish? You know, you, you talk about worrying about what we look like outwardly instead of dealing with, you know, programs and things that, you know, can be established to help people who are in, in real need. Uh, so, anyway, so she said some clothes to put on instead of a sackcloth. Go ahead. So Esther summoned Hatak, one of the king's units, assigned to attend her and ordered him to find out what's troubling Mordecai and why. Now remember, who does Mordecai represent? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Okay? So what do you think the Holy Spirit is trying to do? What's the Holy Spirit trying to do in all of our lives? He's trying to get our attention. He is doing something to try to get the attention of Esther. Now where is Esther at this point in time? 
wish I was her at this point in time. She is a queen. She is living in sumptuous living. She is a believer who has, under what a weird circumstance, to say the least, has arrived in a place where she is in the middle of sumptuous living and not even aware of what's going on out there. And I will tell you that the devil will try to get us to a point in our life where we are not aware of what's going on in this world around us. We're not aware. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm not against saving pets, okay? I'm, I'm you know, and donating the money to the shelters for animals and dogs. But you know that people are slave trafficking means that, you know, people are slave trafficked every day. The slavery is still in existence. Sex trafficking is still going on. And, you know, there's things that we are so blind to, and Satan will keep us as blind as we possibly can to think that life is going on wonderful. This earth is not heaven. Heaven is where we're going after we die from here. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. You talk about songs that you from your childhood. When I started going to university, that was the one song you know, that always stuck in my mind. Uh, these people singing this song, I had no idea about Jesus, but this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. You know, I've got a mansion somewhere, it's up in glory. You know, God has so much for us, and but the real thing, we're going to get to that at the end of this chapter. So, after someone's hey, Doc, says, shows to find out more about what's bothering you, Mordecai, go ahead. So Hancock went to Mordecai, the open spirit of the city in front of the king's gate, go ahead. And Mordecai told him everything that happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. It's interesting. Haman did not know how to keep his mouth shut about his own importance, you know, and everything he's doing in his life. So Mordecai begins to share with Esther, who is unaware. She's absolutely unaware of what's going on. Go ahead. Um, he also gave him a copy of the text of the Edict of their Annihilation, which had been published in Susan to show that Esther and explain it to her. And he told him to instruct her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and plead with him for her people. Go ahead. So Hedak goes back to her. Now, he's finally, he's got Esther's attention. Now, the one thing you got to remember about Esther is that every verse of scripture we've seen in the book of Esther so far has shown that Esther is a believer who obeys the Spirit of God. So when this comment comes from um, Mordecai to Esther, go ahead. All, so... Uh, <clears throat> So she sends a message back to uh, Mordecai. She says, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned, the king has but one law, that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Now, I mean, by the way, the king has that whole harem there, so he doesn't need her, you know, all the time. But it is interesting when you're living in the flesh, how much you avoid the spirit. And she has the spirit of God in her as a believer. So you see that separation. She says, it's been 30 days 
But she tells Mordecai, look, if I go, there's only one edict for me. You know, it's death. If he doesn't raise that scepter, he's not in the mood for my company today. I mean, how many days are you not in the mood for your spouse's company? You know, I'm not that that ever really happens. I'm sure it never happens to anybody here. But, uh, you know, so anyway, I mean, Esther has this problem, but now she's worrying about, well, I might, I might die doing this. And what's interesting is, but what else? You know, that's one death. You know, and she's looking at the whole people, all her people being destroyed. Go ahead. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he said back to Esther, Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Now, it is true. The one thing is that nobody knew she was a Jew. She, what did Mordecai tell her at the very beginning? Don't let anybody know that you're Jewish. So she is never, the king doesn't know she's Jewish. I don't, as I said before, I don't even think the king knows that Haman wanted to destroy the Jews. But, you know, so Esther has been unidentified, you know, at this point in time. So Mordecai challenges her. Uh, you know, do you think that, you know, you, if you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews who will escape? Go ahead. For if you remain silent this time, here's the voice of the Spirit of God speaking. He knows and he has confidence in what God's plan for his Jewish nation is. But he looks at Esther and says, For if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. So Mordecai says, you know, if you don't do it, God will. It's an interesting thing for you and I to understand about the Lord. This is his work, it's not our work. But he looks at Esther and says, you know, you miss this opportunity. He says, deliverance uh, will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. The challenge for you and I is wherever we are, I, I'm working with a man who hates his job, but he can't leave it. You know, and you know, what we need to begin to understand that wherever God has us, it's, it's in his work. Who knows that for this reason we were sent to this place, that we might be a blessing to someone in the midst of struggle, in the midst of trouble and trials. Um, I mean, I, you, you talk about looking around and being aware of what's going on around you. I, I think I've shared this before. I, I need to do a brief share, but... You know, I worked in the department of 13 people. And in 13 people, we had two suicides in the immediate family and two murders in the immediate family. That's one out of three in the department that went through unbelievable tragedy, not to mention normal deaths of, of parents, etc. <clears throat> but there's so much hurt in this world. And we, we have such a tendency to want to hide ourselves from what's around us. But God has us in a place to be a comfort and a blessing to people in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering. Who knows why God has us where we are? Um, I, I'm going to share this one story with you. When I took the job uh, teaching high school at Hortis High School, 
my supervisor who hired me, you know, she went through, she knew that I was a minister, and uh, I, she asked me why I went back to school teaching, and I just said, well, <laughs> never mind, the politics of, uh, so, you know, but I, so we, we, we went, about a year and a half after I was working there, she, she took me out to lunch, or dinner, I can't remember what, but she said, I, don't, I need to take you out to dinner and sit down. She, and she looked at me and she said, I made a promise to my brother, and this is the wildest story, but I just want you to understand that God is at work all around. She had a brother who was a drug addict. He was stealing from his parents. He was robbing his parents blind. She actually had to go through all the work of <clears throat> moving her parents, hiding them from him, shut everything down. No, so the only thing that this brother had was an emergency phone number, which was her phone number, where she could be reached to ever find out what was going on in his life. He just basically put out all restraints on him. <clears throat> she gets a phone call one day from Florida and said, are you so-and-so, not Eugene Beavers, and, uh, you know, and she said, why? She said, well, we were given this phone number to call in case of emergency. Your brother is in the hospital dying. So she goes down to Florida to see her brother in the hospital, and he's dying. <clears throat> and when she walks in the hospital, he is absolutely surrounded by all these people who are visiting him. And they, look, they start to grill her, like, you're her sister. Are you really worthy to have a brother like this? This guy came to our church. He trusted Christ, and he has spent his entire life ministering and helping older people. And his whole life had gotten transformed, and he looked at his sister, and he said, I want you to promise me one thing. He said, I want you to promise me that you will. He says, I know Jesus, and I know I'm going to heaven. And he said, I want you to promise to me that you will look into it and try to find out what's going on. So, a year and a half after I'm teaching, she takes me out to dinner to, sh to share that story with me. That I'm fulfilling the promise I made to my brother to find out about this gospel, about Jesus. And I got the opportunity to share with her at dinner. And, uh, and then... But I also was working for counseling at the time, getting a counseling degree, and she was having trouble with her husband. And, and then one night, she, but, but just to know that, you know, I don't know why I'm there. God gave me that job. In fact, I was going to be offered another job. Her husband was the principal of another school. I had interviews the same day at both schools. She told her husband, if you hire him, you and I are done. <laughs> so I got the job at, with that, that school with her, but, um, you know, she came in one morning and she said, you know, she, she couldn't, she grabbed me and one morning she comes to the school, she's like, I just have to tell you, she said, last night I couldn't sleep. I could not sleep at all. She said, this whole thing with my husband, and you've been telling me over and over again to let him go that I can only talk about myself. She says, I couldn't sleep. And finally, she said, last night in bed, I looked up to heaven and I said, I don't know about all this stuff about you, Lord, but he says, I can't do this anymore, Father. You've got to take it 
she actually started attending a ladies' Bible study at the school <coughs> in the office where some of the ladies' teachers were having study every Wednesday morning. But we don't know why we're here or there or wherever we are. <coughs> you don't know who God wants us to touch with our lives, but we need to reach out to people and just be available. <coughs> so go ahead. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Who is she responding to? The Holy Spirit. Just as you, I don't know why you have me here, Lord, but obviously... <coughs> We've seen the weird circumstances of why she becomes queen, you know, with all of that. So there she is in the palace, and now she says, if I perish, I perish. Do you know how many believers are being killed every day? We don't realize what an enemy we have out there, <clears throat> the willingness to die for the sake of the Lord. It's not that we all have to be missionaries or whatever. I don't know what's going to come in this country. <clears throat> the persecution is real. Uh, but, you know, she says, if I perish, I perish. But I want you to, she said, I want you to fast. Basically, <clears throat> night and day. Basically, looking for prayer. <clears throat> and, um, uh, oh, by the way, you talked about being old. And you complimented me this morning. You said, wow, you do those verses right off the top of your head. I gave you the wrong verses. <laughs> I saw you coming through your Bible. <laughs> it's like they've been wrong or something. Yeah, it's the wrong verses. Right. Go, go to 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17. I, I said 5 to 7 this morning. It's 2 Kings 15, 6, 15 to 17. You know, when a servant of man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots that surrounded the city. <clears throat> he said, oh no, my lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed. What do we pray for when we pray? Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. When the, first, when the servant first looks at the circumstances, they look awful. <clears throat> and then Elijah says, Lord, open his eyes so that we may see. When we're facing difficult times, difficult choices, difficult decisions, we need to ask the Lord to open our eyes so that we can see. We need to see who's on our side. We need to see who's really in charge of all these circumstances. You can go back to Esther. And um, <clears throat> so that, you know, Esther is sitting there, and she asks for prayer. And she says, if I perish, I perish. But she's asking for prayer. And... You know, I think one of the neatest things we can ever do is to go through Scripture in the New Testament and study the prayer life of Paul, the Apostle, and look at the things he prayed for. 
but we all need our eyes open so that we can see the reality of what's really going on in life. The Holy Spirit is more than willing to reveal to us what's going on. <clears throat> I mean, you see in Mordecai, he did lots of things to give attention. You know, church attendance jumped. You know when church attendance jumped? That's unbelievable in the last so many years. Right after 9-11. Because 9-11 shocked this nation. Because this nation had never been under attack before. And all of a sudden, the reality of life and death became much, much more apparent. And the fact is, not all about living, pursuing wealth, and, and going on with a wonderful life of comfort. You know, all of a sudden, it was like, wow, what is going on? And people began to flock. Sometimes tragedy, and unfortunately, God uses tragedy to get our attention to ask the most difficult questions about life. <clears throat> I mean, doing Grief Share right now has just been unbelievable. We just love doing it. It's hard, but we love doing it. But you see people asking the hard questions about life because all of a sudden, death is such a reality <clears throat> that sometimes we ignore the reality that, is, that we all do have to die someday. But, but we need to minister to these people with empathy. Thank you.